1: Well, today it's going to be just me because I want to help you get a jump on the holiday crazies. Yes, I'm sure you've heard many times about holiday blues, the kind of sadness, the depression that you may start to feel over the holidays. But today I'm going to be talking to you about the holiday crazies because the holiday blues, (laughs) as bad as they are, Seem to have transformed into the holiday crazies with people doing, acting out their blues, acting out their discontent, their desperation, their problems um, by, you know, doing crazy things. Um, And I'm going to talk to you about, you know, different (laughs) examples of this um, on different sides of the pond from the London terror attack, to a um, a killing that just happened. Well, actually, the killing happened in September, but the mother was arrested for killing her two kids just recently, just now. She was able to sort of convince them of some other story, but after investigation, they just arrested her. But before I get into those stories, um, let me tell you about a little bit about why, what you might be starting to feel and might expect to feel. I mean, the world has gotten a lot crazier in general than um, the paintings of uh, good old Americana um, and the holidays, paintings especially, you know, these days you see greeting cards of pictures of back-in-the-day times, simpler times, um, maybe times when you grow, grew up. I mean, for all of us, it was simpler whenever it was that we grew up. And that's part of the problem. Um, part of the reason why people feel blue or some people express that in crazy ways is because of um, this unconscious longing that we have for the time when we were kids and the holidays, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas, um, the holidays were about you. Your parents were uh doing everything they could to make this a very festive, happy time, give you get you presents, maybe take you to Santa Claus or have you write a letter to Santa Claus. Um, and it was all about you, you know, Christmas stockings, uh for Hanukkah, lighting the candles every night, getting a present each night, and then a big one for the eighth night. Um, all of these different rituals that families practice really have at the core of it making the children happy, and um, and and by because of that, making the whole family happier. Everybody having a good time, having parties, and so on. And so now that you are an adult, um, there is nobody. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Maybe you're fortunate enough to have somebody, but it's not quite the same. I was going to say there isn't anybody running around town trying to, um, make it all about you. Um, so there's this nostalgia, this, this feeling and, and, part of the problem is that people don't think about it in these terms, don't understand um, what it is that they're missing, just kind of feeling a a hollowness and a feeling that your, maybe your holidays this year aren't going to be like the Hallmark cards. um, And perfect, you know, it's supposed to be perfect, right? So because of that, um, people tend to do all kinds of, crazy, uh, sometimes self-destructive sorts of things. And um, this is, of course, made worse if you have had a loss in your family. If someone has died, a loved one has died, um, the holidays can be really extra tough. And it's, and there nostalgia has even an extra special uh, twinge to it. Because it's not just for, you know, bitter times or times when you were the child, but it's for perhaps times when you were the child and this parent who is no longer there was there with you um, making the holidays happy. Or some other loved one um, in was with you in holidays past. So that is really a big part of it. Now, of course, in modern times, there's a lot to add to this. There is um, the stress that everyone was feeling even before Thanksgiving, before the holidays started coming. And that is political stress, the stress of hearing about impeachment every day. If I hear that word one more time, I am going to jump out of my skin. Um, You know, it, it makes me so angry to hear about, that's, all, that's always the top news, like you go to Google News, that's the top story, impeachment, impeachment, not just Google News, but wherever, you know, turn on the television, impeachment, we don't want, you know, <laughs> they think that people want to hear about it, and in a way, it's kind of like a soap opera, so you want to hear the next story, the next part of the story, what happened, what are the highlights from today, um, but really, if most of the people do not want to hear anything about it. I mean, would wish that it wasn't happening so we wouldn't be, have that curiosity of uh, a soap opera, what happened that day. What, what, you know, we don't want to miss anything. We don't want to be someone who doesn't know um, what is happening because, you know, what if people, uh, friends or, or family or, well, it's better not to talk to friends and family these days about politics if you want to keep them as friends and if you don't want to have any risks in the family. Um, but, I mean, you know, people at work, whatever, people people you meet, you know, you, you know, there's this fear that, oh, my God, I won't be up to the latest uh, news about what's happening with the impeachment, and they're going to think that I'm an idiot. Well, but really, you know, they've done surveys, and really um, over half the country doesn't want... Um, Trump to be impeached in the first place. And more than that, people just are sick of hearing about it every single day. Uh, Especially since there's no there there, you know, and I can't help. It makes, one of the reasons why it makes me so angry is because, um, uh, to think that half of Congress approximately are not doing the job that they were sent to Congress for, you know, like to help, uh, help poor people find jobs or help, well, Trump is doing doing that, <laughs> but um, helping, you know, helping whatever their constituents need, um, better access to health care or better this, better that, better, um, a, you know, um, what do you call that, substructure, you know, infrastructure, uh, bridges and tunnels, whatever, whatever, each area of the country has different things that they might be more concerned about. But that is what the people were elected to go to Congress and try to fix, not to um, be stuck in 2016 and still angry that Hillary didn't win and trying to, I mean, it's like little kids. That is what little kids do, <laughs> who they, they, wanted some, they wanted some outcome that didn't happen And so they keep going. They won't let it alone. They keep going over it and over it and over it. Um, And somehow it's called magical thinking, wishing that something came out the other way and somehow, you know, thinking that you can redo um, what happened and and make it come out the way you want. Now, of course, that's what the Democrats are wanting to do um, with the 2020 election. But, you know, I was reading an article today about how This is really self defeating for the Democrats because, um, because people are spending so much time, um, you know, talking about looking at, um, being involved in impeachment and yet, um, and not, and not as much, the candidates aren't really getting as much attention to their platforms, to what they want to talk about, um, other than impeachment. Anyhow, I'm going to let the politics alone because as I was starting to say, I am sick of, Of hearing about it, so I'm not going to add to the noise by talking about it, um, other than what I just said. (laughs) So that's one of the things that before Thanksgiving, before we got into the holiday season, people were already feeling, um, irritated about and, uh, at odds with each other about. I'm sure at lots of Thanksgiving tables, um, people were, there were lots of political arguments that started. Because chances are, with whatever friends or family you had at your Thanksgiving, chances are there was somebody who didn't agree with um, the other people. And then, of course, you know, that makes that person feel like left out and and ostracized and unloved and all of that. So there's that, in addition to the nostalgia, the normal nostalgia that goes along with the holidays. Um, Also, of course, there has been in the United States, there is. Um, a lot of bad weather that has not helped to raise the spirits of people, um, particularly with holiday shopping. Talk about holiday shopping. That is one of my pet peeves, how stores, online, offline stores, have um, encroached upon Thanksgiving, such that now it used to be no stores were open on Thanksgiving, maybe some food stores to help with last-minute items that you would need for the Thanksgiving feast, but not stores um, that didn't have anything to do with that, you know, regular kinds of clothes stores or toy stores or, you know, everyday kinds of stores were not open on Thanksgiving. It's a national holiday. It is supposed to be a time when we are supposed to be giving thanks. Thanks for what we have, thanks for the material things we have, thanks for the health that we have, thanks for the loved ones that we have, thanks for all kinds of things in our life that we have, not necessarily material things, preferably not material things. If you're really fortunate, it is not mostly material things that you have to be thankful for, but rather experiences, people in your life, opportunities, those kinds of things. And what happened? Stores decided to open up and, uh, on Thanksgiving uh, and, and make it a day of shopping, make it a day of sales. You know, it wasn't enough that uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving became a, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so ridiculous. Here you're supposed to be giving thanks on Thursday, and then Friday you run out to the stores. Some people run out early in the morning to be the first online to get more. Instead of being... It's the opposite of Thanksgiving. You do get that, right? It's the opposite of Thanksgiving when you're supposed to be thankful for things that you have or, as I said, experienced or have people in your life, not for running out to grab more stuff. It's not about the stuff. So, anyhow. um, So, as I was saying... um, and then there's that too in terms of the holidays and the holiday stress and the holiday blues and crazies. Um, the idea that, uh, that you have to go shopping for people and you have to, you don't have to, but I mean, you know, certain presents are, are expected. And also, it's nice to give presents. And, you know, that's one thing to be thankful for if you can afford to be able to give people who you care about presents. But you don't do it the day after Thanksgiving. Um, you don't have to run out and shop the day after Thanksgiving. But in any case, um, that's one of the stressors, you know, running around shopping for people. Of course, nowadays, so many people. I mean, the statistics were really crazy um, about how many people shopped online instead of uh, going to stores. And um, that I—that's something that I mean, you do realize that Amazon is like destroying America, um, the idea that, that people turn to this one place more and more for, uh, to buy things, and of course, you know, because of the numbers, they're able to uh, make things cheaper. It becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and meanwhile, it's putting regular stores at a business. And I do not understand why more has not been done to call it a monopoly, uh, and and break or a um, some other kind of legal way of fixing it. You know, we should be finding some legal way of fixing it. It's it's I mean t- it's taking over food stores now, um, just all nothing restaurants um, because of the. The, the ability so many restaurants now are uh, turning more to uh, food to go, and then that's not necessarily in regard to amazon amazon it has become um, uh, like a grocery store but but there are, it's, it's also the whole issue of online people shopping for things in general, whether it's Amazon or other places other websites it's the idea of buying things online instead of going to going into stores, which I don't know how people buy, women especially, um, buy clothes online. I mean, yes, can you guess at your size or some places have measurements, you know, and you could kind of measure yourself, but how you can um, not try these things on, even if you have the right measurements, you have to see how you look in it. I, I think it's and, and, and I mean, it, it's because of time, saving time. It's because people don't want to go out and fight traffic, especially during the holidays. You know, you don't want to fight the crowds at the stores, although, although um, as you may have heard, there were less crowds at stores because of people buying more things online. Um, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you would think that's a good thing. But meanwhile, the stores and the malls are dying, and I think that that's, rather sad and, and, you know, it's, yes, it's more convenient and everybody's rushing around. You know, I think that's one of the things that, um, you might want to think about for the new year in terms of a, of a, uh, a new year's resolution to not spend so much time just rushing around and spending more quality time doing things that you really want to experience and are really present for. Well, um we need to be present for a break right now. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, helping you today get a jump on the holiday crazies. We've heard of holiday blues. Well, they are turning into holiday crazies for people who um, are acting out in crazy ways on these unsettled, unhappy, distressing, um, tortured uh, thoughts, feelings that they have as these holidays are coming on. Now, I said I was going to give you two examples of this: one from each of the side of the pond, uh, the sides of the pond, and one example um, on the Pennsylvania side, the United States side, is um, a woman in Pennsylvania, a mother who hanged her two adorable children. Now, um, you know, this This is kind of a, a, a perfect example. I'm not saying that uh, it was just the holiday blues that, you know, brought this on, but that was one factor. Let me tell you what I tweeted about this story today. Mom, Lisa Snyder, allegedly hanged two kids. Red flags, ignored. Depressed, lonely mom, plus no dad in home, plus sunk to desperate sex with dog, plus CPS stopped watching, plus holiday blues, equals tragedy could have been stopped. And then um, I added autopsy equals homicide, but DA equals wrong. Bullying does cause kids to suicide. I will explain all of that. Um, Lisa Snyder is the mom, the Wobegon mom, who um, killed her her eight-year-old boy and four-year-old girl. Her eight-year-old was called Connor and her four-year-old Brinley. They were very cute. Yes, the eight-year-old was a bit overweight, as was the mother. Um but and of course there are the usual adorable pictures of the kids. And what is what happened? <laughs> what happened? Well first of all, um the way this story came about, it actually started in September when um the mother put a 911 call in and um said that her children were found that she found her children hanging in the basement. So the um, uh, first responders came and they found the children hanging in the basement. Indeed, they were hanging from um, a leash that is usually, well, that's supposed to be used for a dog, a very large dog. And the mother, after going upstairs from the um, basement, to call 911 she never went back down to the basement now i mean like imagine yourself if you were a parent and you found your kids hanging um, from a dog leash in the basement and you called 911 once you called or or since you have a cell phone you would go back down to the basement presumably and try to get them down um, try to do CPR she had excuses for why she didn't uh, do any of that. You know, she said she couldn't, they were too big. Well, first of all, her little girl, her four-year-old girl was not big at all. There's no reason why she couldn't have picked her up and um, and gotten the leash loose and, and brought her to the floor. Um, her eight-year-old son, you know, is overweight and he might have been too much for her to carry. Yeah. But, but, you know they there they also had a seventeen year old brother. It is not clear whether he was in the house at the time of this hanging. um they also mentioned someone else in the house who they call a witness they haven't I've been um doing a lot of research on this, and so far they haven't mentioned who this witness's name is um other than you know someone who presumably did not want their name in the media but um But it's a really sad story. Now, what the mother told the the police, I mean, you know, it's amazing that she didn't get arrested sooner than this. Um, As I said, this happened in September. So it's about two months, almost two months, um, October, November, yeah, about at least two months since... um, since they, they discovered the children. Well, actually, it was the end of September. Anyway, let's just say approximately two months. And she, the, what she told them, the story that she told them, and why they didn't arrest her at the beginning, was because she told them that her son was very depressed and that he had told her he was depressed because he was being bullied in school because of his weight that the kids were calling him fat and so he was depressed and he wanted to kill himself, but he didn't want to die alone. And so that's how she explained that he, the, the little boy, the 8-year-old boy, um, ostensibly uh, killed the little girl and himself. And that story apparently, you know... Um, held water, and it is still, she is alleged, the alleged murderer, so, you know, she hasn't been tried yet, and I'm sure probably part of her defense will be that it was the boy, but um, who murdered the little girl and himself. Um, but, you know, this mother, what happened was, after the police left, they took with them um, a, a lot of the, her telephone and various uh, computers and electronic devices, and they started examining them, and they started finding worrisome things like um, the mother that the mother was looking for. In fact, between September and seventeenth uh, and twenty third, which uh, was that was leading up to their death, she googled um, the following search items. Carbon monoxide in a car. How long to die? Almost got away with it, which is the name of a television show, as well of of examples of crimes that people almost got away with. I almost got away with it. Best episodes: um, hanging yourself. Do a hybrid car produce carbon monoxide? Does does a hybrid and also does a hybrid car? produce carbon monoxide while idling. Now, you know, I'm sure her defense attorney is going to say that she was thinking of ways of killing herself because she was depressed. And in fact, she had told people that she was depressed. She told at least one person also that she was so depressed, it was hard for her to get out of bed, and she didn't really care about her children anymore. Now, part of why I'm telling you this story is because if you, if you, yourself, or if you know anyone who has some of these classic signs of desperation, then you know to get help, you should get help, um, or, and or if it's someone else, you should make sure that they get help. Now, um, she seems to have had a perfect storm of classic red flags, classic things that signify how desperate she was, how desperately depressed. So like I wrote in my tweet, uh, desperate, lonely mom, you know, it's always always surprise, surprise, whenever there are these stories of horrendous things happening in the family or children who become school shooters or, um, uh, or who kill themselves or, you know, tra- family tragedies, more often than not, you will find that there is no dad in the home. Perhaps the mother never married the dad. More likely they were married, but they are divorced or they're separated or some story. Now, in this um, tragedy, there has been no mention of a father other than that in terms of the funeral, they were mentioning like which family members came to the funeral and it said the parents. Well, where was the dad when the mother was feeling so depressed that she couldn't get out of bed and that she didn't care about the kids anymore? Did she tell the kid's father um, that she didn't, you know, didn't care about them anymore? Did she tell, she told somebody, she told at least one person. Um, but And why didn't that person do something? And why didn't i mean her her depression sounds like it was happening for a while? Nobody noticed that she was depressed. Why didn't anyone um try to encourage her or help her uh, get to therapy or if they thought it was um uh, significant enough, call nine one one for the mother um, then there's this whole very rather um, what um sad, um, sick story about her having sex with the family dog. Um, I mean, what does that show? Besides, she's a little perverted, but what does that show? She's so hungry. Now, the mother, truth be told, you know I always say it like it is, the mother was not the most, uh, currently, she might have been beautiful back in the day, but she is rather overweight and doesn't look like she takes care of herself, and doesn't look like um, she has much in the way of a social life. Um, So she was having sex with a family dog. She was having the dog perform oral sex on her. And she sent pictures of this, and also pictures of her holding the dog's genitalia. Um, Pictures, these kinds of pictures, she sent to a person or people over facebook now hello if you got a picture like that what would you do i mean um, it depends presumably on your relationship to the person who sent it to you but don't you think you don't you think that was a cry for help don't you think this person is saying how desperate she feels how lonely she feels how how you know how um, unsatisfied sexually she is um Then you know that she has children and um, she's not able to get out of bed. I mean, this whole picture, you you really don't need a psychiatrist to see that this was an accident waiting to happen, a tragedy waiting to happen. And somebody should have done something. Um, I think the people who miss these classic red flags should be held complicit in the kid's murder. So, you know, the holiday blues... Um, was sort of the tip of the iceberg. Could she have done this before the holidays, after the holidays? Yes, absolutely. But the stress of the holidays, I mean, you know, if you're you're not feeling any warmth or um, caring about your kids and it's the holidays and you know you're expected to sort of make the holidays happy for your kids, it just adds that much more stress onto you. Um, Then... It turns out that this was a family that CPS, Child Protective Services, had um, intervened with um, a couple of years ago. It was um, 2014, I believe, and of course they're not giving out very much information about this. You know, it's all confidential. In 2014, um, the children were removed from the mother's care, and then they were returned to her in February of 2015. Now, apparently they were not still keeping tabs on her, however. Um, there, there's this sideline about the son um, who has um, has been having occupational therapy because he has a, um, below average visual motor skills and perceptual vision and eye-hand coordination is poor and difficulty with his dexterity and so on. Which is why um, his occupational therapist thinks that he couldn't have operated the dog lead clasp. The what you needed to to do to to attach the two kids to um, the dog rope that they were hanged from. So she's saying she didn't think he could do it. But that's going to be something that comes up at trial, most likely. You know whether he could in fact have done it, um, had, had enough dexterity to do it. And then one thing that kind of got me annoyed is that um, the DA has been saying that um, that the kid that bullying he doesn't know of any eight year old kids who um, kill themselves because of bullying. Well, he hasn't been reading the papers. <laughs> there are plenty of eight year old and younger kids who find ways to kill themselves because of bullying. So it's kind of surprising that a DA would say that. I mean, in any case, the autopsy has shown that it was a homicide, but um, I just, it's not right for the DA to be spreading such misinformation to the public. He said this at a, a press conference. Um, and, you know, that makes people feel like, oh, well, my kid is safe. Uh, yeah, they've complained about being bullied a little bit, but they're not going to kill themselves over it. Well, that's not true. Um, there are plenty of cases that make the news, no less the ones that don't. So a very, very sad story, a sad story that could have been stopped, and, um, and things that you kind of need to look out for. You know, these should, be red, should raise red flags, and people should have intervened. I'm kind of surprised about, um, I don't know, you know, they're not really saying anything much about the 17-year-old brother other than he exists. So you kind of wonder. And then the story was that the little boy wanted to build forts, that he liked to build forts. And so he decided to build one in the basement, and he brought two chairs down to the basement, and he had his sister come down with him. Um, I mean, I guess he could have carried a chair down to the basement. Uh, I'm sure all of this is going to be factors that come up at trial. So... um, What it's so far, what we can glean from it is this is, you know, one example of the holiday crazies. I think perhaps it was the fact that it was holiday time and that her life certainly wasn't perfect that may have pushed her over the edge. Well, we need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. talking with you today about not just the holiday blues, but the holiday crazies, and helping you to get a jump on them. Uh, On the other side of the pond, from the Pennsylvania and the hanging mother, well, it's the hanging kids, I should say. Um, The hang mom. There we go. Oh, I know. That's sick. Okay. Sorry. Well, I guess... You know, it's black humor because it's so sad, especially if you look up the pictures of the kids, they look so sweet. Not that any kids deserve to die, especially not to be hanged. Um, but anyhow, going to the other side of the pond, London, I am sure you have heard by now about the um London Bridge attack. A new one, this new one. Um, oh, it is so... It is so um, sad to watch Europe, you know, mainly uh, London and Paris, and other parts of France as well, um, be trampled on by terrorists, and um, and so we had, uh, you know, and, and and at the same time, um, where there is there is in the in the U.S. There's this general denial of terrorism. People here don't want to, don't want to acknowledge that we are still in the crosshairs as well. Of course, Europe is worse because of the, um, especially now, because of the immigrants, um, the people who are going to be coming home more and more from the Middle East now that, uh, the caliphate has been destroyed or, let's say, temporarily destroyed. Um, and Abu Bakr um, al-Baghdadi killed, um, people want to think that, oh, great, you know, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are dead. We don't have to worry about it anymore, which is so ironic because, um, especially in Europe, this with the terrorists, who, the people who left European countries and the U.S., there are people like this who want to return, are trying to return to the U.S. as well, but there are more um, in Europe, people who now, of course, want to leave the Middle East because things didn't work out quite the way they expected or wanted. They left their home country, for which they should have been grateful, and went to the Middle East to uh, join ISIS or Al-Qaeda, terrorists, um, terrorists to become terrorists. <laughs> and as I said, it didn't quite work out now. Uh, and so they want to go home. All of a sudden, you know, the grass was greener. <laughs> well, that's probably a poor metaphor. I don't think there's a lot of green grass in the Middle East, but you know what I mean. Uh, they thought, well, I mean, these are, seriously, these are people who, who were dissatisfied, obviously, with their life in the U.S., in Europe, wherever they came from. They came from all over the world, Africa. Um, they were dissatisfied with their life, And they were angry, not just dissatisfied. Like, if you're dissatisfied, you know, you could try to, you could find a country that you think you would like better, and you could try to go through the proper legal channels to move there. But no, no. These are people who were angry at their life, at their lot in life, and who wanted to be able to express their anger by becoming a terrorist, perhaps becoming a martyr, um, being involved in a suicide mission, um, and that that would give them a purpose in life, you know, rather than like studying, going to university, <laughs> um, studying to be some kind of uh, uh, job that they want, you know, a career that they want, um, the, the normal kind of way. Um, they just wanted sort of one of these quick, get rich, give me a, give me purpose ways of doing things, and especially a way to express anger. That's the key. Perhaps they were abused when they were children. Perhaps they were um, had some other uh, trauma. And whatever it was, perhaps they were watching too many violent video games or other violent media. Um, whatever it was, in each person, and then there are a lot of women who went with husbands. It was really the husbands who wanted to go to the Middle East to fight, and they went with them. Anyhow, um, so now all these people want to come home and um, countries are having a hard time trying to figure out what to do about this. So my point was that terrorism is not dead. ISIS isn't dead. Al-Qaeda isn't dead. And in fact, the man who perpetrated the attack on the London Bridge, a knife attack, Uzman Khan, was actually more affiliated with and inspired by Al Qaeda, everybody assumes these days, you know, when there's a lone wolf, that it's an Al, that it's a an ISIS terrorist, an ISIS um, sympathizer. Well, Al Qaeda isn't dead. In fact, they talk about how, you know, the whole world has been watching ISIS and we're watching the collapse of the caliphate and all that. And meanwhile, in the shadows, Al Qaeda has been getting stronger. I'm not saying stronger than ISIS necessarily, but stronger than they were right after 9-11. So anyhow, getting back to Usman Khan, his, this story is an amazing story because he it turned out that he had been arrested and, and convicted and served time in jail for terrorism. Um, earlier on in 2012, and he was put in jail. Originally, he was given a sentence, an indefinite sentence, um, you know, where he wasn't going to be let out of jail. And then um, he, he appealed that or, um, you know, he wrote a letter saying that he wanted to be a good boy who was going to give up terrorism. He wanted to, um, he, was, he had been rehabilitated and he wanted to be more rehabilitated um, and so on and so forth, and his sentence got changed to being only 16 years, and then he was let out at approximately the halfway point. Well, th- there are so many ironies in this story, because it turns out there was a- an event in London, near London Bridge, for put on by Cambridge, um, put about, for people who, and about people who had been rehabilitated, had been in the, in the prison system and rehabilitated. And, in fact, he was supposed to be talking about his experiences of being rehabilitated when he suddenly, um, this was in a building, uh, the Fishmonger's building, as I said, near London Bridge, when he suddenly started talking about um, he's going to uh, explode the building uh, and then he took out knives. He had two knives, big knives, that were attached to his hands. You know that he he had um, strapped onto his hands, and he started stabbing people. So first he started stabbing them in this fishmonger's um, building, and then he and then people ran after him. What was really cool <laughs> was that um, there were people, there were other prisoners there, former prisoners. Who had been rehabilitated, and um, they went chasing after him and in fact, it was these bystanders who brought him down um, and before the police could get there, the police got there fairly quickly but uh, thanks to these bystanders, many of whom, if not all of whom were these former prisoners um, they you know got they stopped him in his tracks on when he got to London Bridge, and um, one of them took the knife away, one of them stepped on his wrist to get the knife away. There were different stories about how they um, how they stopped him, and then of course the police came and they started shooting at him. And before he was dead, he had enough energy to open up his jacket and um, show that he had a suicide vest on explosives tied to his, you know, as a vest. And it turned out that the vest was a hoax. It was just meant to look like a suicide vest. But um, still, it made the point. And one of the things that really bothered me with this case and bothers me in general is how the media refuses to acknowledge that something is a terror attack when all the po- all the uh, clues point to that, and they did that in this case. Now, another incredible irony is that one of the bystanders who was at this event, um, uh, his name is James Ford, he was 42, and he had been jailed for life in 2004 for the murder of a girl uh, who was 21 years old but had a mental age of 15. And he, um, and he, you know, he murdered her rather gruesomely. And he happened to be there that day because, you know, as part of the, he was on a day pass, and um, and you know, he happened to be there. And by the way, the way he was uh, arrested, the way they found him th- that that he was the one who murdered that girl, was that he told a Samaritan's worker. Now, Samaritans, if you're not familiar with this. Um, is a London organization that it's like a 24-hour um, hotline where um, if, you, if you have some psychological problems, if you're feeling like killing yourself or have some other kinds of psychological problems, um, you can call them and get some help. Now, so that's what he did. And it's supposed to be confidential, but the Samaritan's worker told the police and he got arrested. Now, as it turns out, however, he was at this event and he tried to save the life of a female victim and he helped disarm the terrorist, um, Usman Khan, uh, at the time because because he was there. Now, it's not clear. The media is kind of being cagey about exactly which one of the people, which one of the bystanders, you know, um, who caught the terrorist he was. But it seems as though he was the one seen in a number of pictures, um, photos in media, um, take running away with the knife, taking, taking the knife from the terrorist and running away. And, of course, he was hailed as a hero, he is still hailed as a hero, although not by the family of the girl who he murdered. But it's such an irony here, he, he you know he risked his life to save the life or to try to save the life of one of the female victims or the female victim. Um, Anyhow, uh, so he wasn't an all-bad chap. Um, So bottom line, what do you need to do? How can you avoid the holiday blues and the holiday crazies? How can you avoid being one of these stories? The answer is to start now. If you feel yourself... um, starting to go under, you know, starting to feel depressed, starting to not want to participate in parties or um, not really having the holiday spirit, shall we say, um, that you need to start doing something about it. Now, if it's a minor kind of feeling, um, you can make plans now. One of the best ways to deal with the holidays is to make plans before they are actually upon us so that you have commitments of things to go to and people to see um, that can, you know, the movies, plays, concerts, parties, and so on. Um, and also, though, if it's a little more serious than that, you need to tell somebody who you trust. You need to try to get into therapy now. And if it really gets bad, you go to a hospital emergency room and tell a doctor about it. But don't let don't let the, the the key is to not let these feelings overtake you and overwhelm you, before you actually still have the power to do something about it. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Uh, I'm your psychiatrist host, and I wish you, I wish you. I wish you good holidays, I wish you good feelings, I wish you stop comparing things with, try to do less of comparing things to the past in that nostalgia, and more of planning new memories. Thank you all for listening, you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1pm Pacific Time for
1: another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.